Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Early on in your development career, you probably saw a report at some point showing how much senior developers are paid or while you were in school, you heard about it, or at any point when you were getting started, you found out about what developers get paid. While the high pay can be really nice, there are aspects of a lot of senior developer jobs you want to avoid. In short, there are things that are more important to your quality of life and sanity than just your pay. In this episode, We're going to discuss some things you should be considering in addition to salary when determining whether a particular job is a good fit. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well, I gave it some thought, and I think I have an opportunity to try to switch to Linux for my recording workstation. Cool. Because you you and I are both having problems with Windows. I mean, the day we record, I have to get on at lunch and do all the Windows updates, do all the driver updates, you know, all that junk, basically, so that it doesn't break during recording. And still, it's always a lingering problem. And so I've decided that I want to set up a recording machine that Microsoft can't reach into and break at random intervals. I do have a better, uh, more advantageous situation for doing it this time. Um, I've got the NAS here that handles all my file stuff and you know centralized things that used to be on that server and so that's less stress i have a dedicated work machine so i'm not you know down and not making money when i'm mm-hmm. updating that machine's only got one video card instead of two now and so there's fair few reasons that i think i could probably pull it off now and so i'm going to give it a try probably starting tonight after we get done recording i'm going to take the scarlet over there and hook it up and install Ubuntu Studio and see what I can do with it. Awesome. So how about you? I think it's cool you're going with Ubuntu. I'm a big Ubuntu fan. So yeah, when uh, when I eventually can get over to Linux, basically I'm just waiting on Reaper to uh, to finish their beta in Linux. And then this box will go Linux until I can get a Mac for my personal machine. So personally, uh, I finally got rid of my old wedding ring. It's about time. Yeah, for real. Yeah, it's it's been for sale for a while. So um so that was that was a yeah, it's just been out there for a while. I took some of the money and went to the music store where I take lessons uh with the plan to buy a bass guitar. While there, I saw this beautiful used Gibson Les Paul special limited edition. Oh, it was it was gorgeous, kind of this like cherry wine finish and just amazing sound. So when my friend who works there made me an offer for both the guitar and the bass, I just couldn't pass it up, especially since the offer for those two was less than what that guitar would cost brand new on its own. And it was only like two years old. So yeah, I now have a Fender Squire P bass and a Gibson Les Paul uh, to play. And they both sound amazing. And I can really tell a difference. I, like I intellectually knew there was a difference, but now that I I have played them, I can tell a difference between 
the single coil Strat knockoff and the double coil humbucker pickups on the Les Paul. I, I realize I just got all technical and Will's just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But uh, basically, it's like nerd talk for electric guitars. I know what a Les Paul is. <laughs> That's the ones that always get stolen. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's true. They do get stolen a lot at, uh, at shows. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine had one of his stolen not too long ago. Uh, let's see. My, um, my aunt passed away a couple of months ago. Uh, I think I mentioned that. I don't remember. A lot's happened lately. She was sick for a long time, so it wasn't anything sudden. Um, and it wasn't related to anything going on in the world right now. But, uh, I was given her old stereo system. It's amazing. Well, for the time that it, you know, came out it's amazing uh dual cassette six disc cd changer turntable and uh speaker so big the volume while it goes up to 30 shakes the floor at six nice yeah everything works except the turntable i just think it needs a new belt i've added a bluetooth receiver so i can play music from my phone still working on connecting alexa though i can play my new guitar along with music that I'm playing through the stereo and it sounds amazing. In work news, I got permission to work Friday while everyone was off for the 4th of July holiday here in the United States of America. That was nice. No interruptions. I got as much work done in one day that I normally get done an entire week. When I came back on Monday though, I didn't get a thing done because I was constantly being interrupted or on calls helping someone with something that they didn't finish the week before. You know, that's how it is. But uh, yeah, that was uh, it was nice having a day of just like, let me completely focus. Amanda was at work. She worked a, a double that day. So like, you know, I didn't didn't have to worry about, oh, I feel bad for not spending time with her. She was at work. So I just. Yeah, it was nice. It was a nice day. I got a lot done, too. Yeah. No. In fact, we were chatting some. <laughs> during the yeah, day. we Just were. Like, yeah, this is great. Yep. So, guys, your advertisement could go here. If you like the show and want to advertise on here, send us an email to adverts at completedeveloperpodcast.com. We have short-term, long-term, and other sponsorship opportunities. Reach out to us and let us help you reach the people you are serving. If you've ever taken a higher-paying job just because of the pay increase, there is a pretty good chance that you have some horror stories. I know I do. Whether it was management with bad tempers, expectations of working 80 hours a week, or simply working on ugly systems, sometimes higher pay comes with things that make it worse than a lower-paying job. In this episode, we're going to discuss some things you should be considering when the tempting offer of a higher-paying job is presented. In particular, we want to state these items in the forms of questions you should be asking during the hiring and interview process. However, we also realize that this is the real world and that you may already be trapped in a higher paying job with a bad work situation. So we're also going to discuss how to fix the problem if you are already there. While not all situations can be fixed, you probably don't want to walk away from a high paying job unless you really have to. Exactly. So the first thing that you need to ask, and this is probably the most important thing, is what is the expected workload in this job? Right. So if you're making $100,000 a year 
Um, and we're using this as a set point just so that the math is easy. <laughs> so, I mean, I wrote this part. That's why, like, that's exactly why I did it. So I was unlikely to screw it up. $100,000 a year with 40-hour work weeks and two weeks of vacation slash sick time, which is normal for America and abysmal for Europe. <laughs> but, you know, that's a whole other thing. That's about 50 bucks an hour. You know, and then you've got like your medical stuff and you know, you got other things going on in there. If you go up to 80 hours a week, that's $25 an hour, right? For the same pay. $25 an hour is a different kind of job, right? Mm -hmm. Probably not what you were looking for as a developer. Yeah, a lot of people don't tend to think of the hourly pay when they go salary. Yeah, I mean, that's the intent, right? Is to make you not think about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's um, A lot of companies really do that. Now, some degree of extra time in a technical work environment is not a surprise. You know, for good or ill, it's somewhat expected. However, when it becomes pathological, the thing becomes a bad deal unless you're making so much money that, you know, it covers the costs. Yeah. This overwork will really, it'll burn you out and it will create expensive medical problems. Yeah. It, it can be a big issue. And like you, you said a little bit, of extra is is normal i mean it's it's why we get paid more why we get salaried is because you know yeah there's going to be times where you're going to put in you know 50 60 hour weeks but that should not be the norm especially beyond 60 because you're well you get your productivity yeah it's it's gonna you're gonna reach a a point where productivity goes down so low that you get less actual work done for more hours yeah i had a i had a position where um and it was a contract position where i was working more than 80 hours a week which just to give you a little bit of perspective you know if you're doing six days a week that's pretty substantial like start dividing that up right so you're looking at what, 10, you're looking at probably 12 to 15 hours a day because it's not going to be the same every day, right? You're probably mm-hmm. going to do a little bit less on Saturday. I started having symptoms of carpal tunnel. I had migraine headaches. Uh, my diet was crap. My sleep was crap. I was gaining weight. Um, it was bad. Um, that position was hourly, so I totally made bank. But if I had it to do over again, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. It was miserable. I probably got less done in that 80 hour work week than I would have gotten done in a 40 hour work week. Mm-hmm. Now, how long were you there? Uh, that was, that was just like four or five months. Um, and not all yeah. of it was that death march, right? Like they had a period before the go live where things were kind of normal. And then it was like, okay, now we're going live and we're fixing all the stuff that we didn't plan for when we lowballed the contract and when we, you know, when they, when they lied to the, uh, the client about stuff being done. And so they just put it on the workers and like, oh, everybody can work a crazy number of hours to fix it. And so that part with the 80 plus hour work weeks was, I feel like it was like a month, a month and a half, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, It was right as we were getting ready to move into this house. In fact, I was trying to close or I was trying to talk to the bank loan officer over the phone while I was working at this job, while I was at lunch and got yelled at that I needed to get back to work while I was on the phone. It was the situation was so pathological. I had somebody basically get in my face and I had to threaten to put their head through the wall to get them to leave me alone while I'm on the phone with the bank. It was 
absolutely unreal. So when you're in one of these situations, a lot of times it's a job that seems like it's okay. And then it changes into this type of environment, Mm -hmm. right? Like they don't just like drop you into this most of the time. The fix is that you've got to start pushing back on management when they want you to work an excessive number of hours. And if, you know, pushing back on them doesn't fix it, then you need to go somewhere else. Um, In fact, I would say that if it's gotten to this point, go ahead and have the resume out and start interviewing before you even start pushing back. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, like this is really serious and it, I mean, it will really mess you up for a very long time. Now, I remember right before I got, uh, I got hired on full time when I was still contracting, we had a BA come in over, over the holidays while we were on another project and completely change everything up. Yeah. And we came back and we had like two sprints left of work to do. Uh, and we came back and there was, you know, 30 new stories. Yep. And we were like, managed was like, well, why didn't you know about this? I'm like, yeah, we didn't this when we when we went off for Christmas vacation, you know, we didn't know about this. We came back and suddenly it was there because we had been on another project the month before because uh, we were like, oh, we only have two sprints left. We're we're actually going to finish early. So we, you know, they put us on another thing and boom, and we were we were death marching like that for about a month. Yeah. But there was an it, this goes back to, you know there was an end in sight. It wasn't pathological. It was, we're doing this for a very set amount of time. Yeah. And I think the other thing with that too, is it wasn't the consequence of management lying to the client. Mm -mm. And it wasn't a consequence of people thinking that developers are interchangeable. And if you burn one out, you can just get another one, which is definitely what this contract position was. Um, Yeah. you know, just, just the fact that our desks were not ergonomic at all, you know, is like a, uh, it was like almost a sharp corner on the top. And so it would like cut into your wrists mm-hmm. sitting there. It was, it was awful. So yeah, you, you pretty much have to be ready and willing to walk away from this, even if it pays more money, because what it's going to eventually do is it's going to cost you more money. You're going to get health problems that you can't correct anymore. Like if you lose the ability to type as a developer, that's real bad. Yeah. So that's uh, yeah. Um, you know, it's a it's a crippling thing. So you, you can't play around with this. Speaking of crippling things, the second consideration is what technology will I be using? While using ancient crusty technology typically pays really well now, if that technology is going away, for example, silverlight, flash, then it could also be a dead end for your career. Because it's not like one of those like old languages that is, if it's not something that's like solid and old. Yeah, it's it's one thing if it's the top thing from a from another age. It's it's another thing when it's just old crap from this one. Yeah, you know, so like if it you know if it was used in the guts of banking systems and places that don't like change, you know, like you know Fortran, Cobol, you know, some of the really you know, the stuff that's you know been out there a long time, even including a lot of Delphi stuff. It's like, it's not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does function for what it's doing. I, I would argue that uh, you don't want to throw that out. Of course, Delphi has actually matured um, along with it. It's kind of gotten put in that bucket undeservedly, but that's just a little personal opinion of mine. The thing is, if you are using both the dead end technology and something newer, you're probably okay. You know, like if you're converting from the old one to the new one. But if you're just stuck on the old stuff, then you need to be really, really careful. 
If you aren't, this will make it really difficult for you to get your next job. I worked with a guy who got let go or told he was getting let go in a month, I think. And he was told two days before getting out for Christmas. And so he had to go home and sit through Christmas with his family and pretend like nothing was wrong. So he didn't ruin Christmas with his kids and then like try to find another job. And oh, by the way, he was, you know, 10 years out of date on software he knew how to use. Um, Mm -hmm. Like this will sneak up on you and it will nail you if you're not careful. Um, It can also trap you at a job that becomes unpleasant. So if all of a sudden they say, hey, you're doing 80 hour work weeks. Well, guess what? If you're doing, you know, Visual Basic 4 apps right now and they try to stick you with an 80 hour work week, you may have a real hard time getting something else. Yeah. And you won't have time to learn, even if it's just learning newer VB stuff. Um, so you'll be stuck and yeah. your options are get fired and lose everything or quit and lose everything. And yeah. And if you're the sort of person who doesn't plan ahead on that one thing, there's a distinct possibility you don't plan ahead on finances either. So it's, it's just a double whammy. If an employee is only working on an old technology, a lot of times when the company moves away from that technology, the employee will lose their job because you know, what are they going to use them for? They don't want to pay to train you for a year and then put you on something else. So yeah, it's it's really bad. If this sounds like your current situation, you've got to start trying to learn about the newer technology that your company or your organization is using, or you need to go elsewhere before you get laid off. So it might be you learn something new and you start applying for jobs outside the organization and you get one and you go. Mm-hmm. Or you start looking for jobs doing the same thing, but that maybe they're moving, like they're looking for someone who knows the older tech because they need help moving it to newer tech. Right. And so in the process of maintaining that older, you're learning the newer stuff. Start looking for that now. Because if you, if you, if your current job is moving that direction and not bringing you along, yeah, you need to find, you need to either start going along or find a place that'll take you along. Yeah, it's totally the pirate code. If you get left behind, you're left behind. So speaking of left behind, the next question you need to ask is, what kind of work environment can I expect? What did the other developers leave behind for me? Yeah, it should go without saying that not all work environments are pleasant. Um, Some managers are abusive, straight up. Some of them are semi-abusive and you know, have plausible deniability on the stuff that they do. Some coworkers are toxic and it seems like it's a really, what is described as toxic is very, very different to different people. It's unlikely that you can fix it when other people are the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, your, your work environment is also more than the people that are in it. Uh, you may be working with a great team in a building that makes you sick. Like if they've got a bad mold problem. I probably don't need to be in there. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the other thing to think about is like, where your desk, your chair and equipment are, they can like you were talking earlier about the desk with the hard edges or, you know, something a lot of people don't think about is noise pollution. Yeah. Like if you're in a high traffic area, uh, actually when I first started, we were down in the basement and they actually had white noise machines going because of like, because it, it kind of drowned out the noise pollution, so you didn't get like harsh 
sounds every now and then. You just had this constant, you know, kind of white noise above you, which wasn't bad. It actually really helped when you put your headphones on to to drown out people talking around you. The problem was when people would like meet in the hallway and stuff, they'd have to speak louder. Yep. So when we went to an open floor plan and we only came in once a week, the uh, the lawyers' offices were all around, like they lined our area, and they're constantly complaining about the one day a week we were in the office. And it's like, look, we have to talk loud enough for each other to hear. We're not like. It's one day a week. You can plan around it. Yeah. I mean, you know, the thing is, is people have different expectations of what kind of collaboration is appropriate. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times what you'll find in some offices is they have a communication style across the board that does not work for you. Right. So I'm, I don't have a problem jumping on a call. I don't have a problem, you know, provided that it's scheduled. I don't have a problem, you know, talking face to face as long as again it's scheduled with respect to what I'm doing but I've worked in places that had extremely interruptive styles and then they couldn't understand why you couldn't get anything done it's like you burned all my best work time with stupid conversations about stuff that didn't matter to the company you know little nitpicky stuff that wasn't high priority and then during my you know like late afternoon when I'm not too focused now you're wanting me to try to get work done and it's not happening. So it's very easy to get into that situation. It's also easy to get into a situation where you have, you know, physical pain from, mm-hmm. you know, the equipment, from the desk, from, you know, sunlight, whatever. The thing is with a toxic or, you know, destructive working environment, you probably can't fix it. Probably just going to have to leave. Even pointing out that a culture is toxic is a bad idea. Um, I've done this in the past and gotten chewed out for going, hey, can you get this person to quit interrupting me when I'm working on critical stuff? Because they can't send an email to the other guy in the office. They got to walk over and talk crazy loud. Yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of... It's a respect thing. It's, well, it's a respect I would say. It sort of depends on who you say that to as well. Yeah. Like, I had a situation on this project I'm working on right now because it's really... I did not realize how high profile the project was. So I had a couple of weeks there where I got no work done because I kept getting pulled into meetings. And I did it to myself. I. I got asked to come into a meeting to explain something and I cut an hour long meeting into 15 minutes with a simple explanation. Yeah. They're like, Oh, well that makes sense. And the, the third party we were using, we're like, well, that's all we really needed. That that's the whole reason for this meeting. And so then they were like, Oh, BJ fixes everything. Let's bring him into all the meetings. Yeah. And I had to say something to, to my software development director. I'm like, Hey man, I can't get any work done because I'm getting called into all these meetings and it, it, I'm not even trying to be rude. Like the people who are inviting me into the meetings are really nice people They're And they're asking me to come in because they think I can help. But I'm like, they're sitting around talking about business policy and it has nothing to do with what I'm doing. Or, you know, I got called into one meeting where they were talking about stuff that happens like three steps after it leaves the part that I'm building. And I'm like, this you know, yeah. Why am tell I me here? What the, yeah, tell me the output of this meeting, and I'll give you like my opinion about it if you want. But I don't need to hear you guys arguing about what to call things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, and and the thing is, is those things are important for them, right? And that. Oh yeah. If I had said to to the person who invited me why I didn't need to be there, that would have been the wrong person because that would have like turned against me. 
saying to my development director, whose job it is to make sure that I can do my job, hey, this is this is hindering me from doing my job. Like, and it also goes down to office politics too, because if you complain around about the wrong person, you get a bad rep. Yeah, and you know the thing is sometimes too, an environment can really be toxic for you when it's not bad for somebody else. Mm-hmm. I've worked in companies that were extremely religious, like you know they had, you know, like if they had a company meal, they had prayers and all that kind of stuff, right? That doesn't bother me. There's some people that just would not be comfortable there. Oh yeah, we have uh, friends who were like that. Yeah, and you know we've also got friends that work in places that I wouldn't be comfortable in because of the things going on in that workplace that you know are you know just stuff I wouldn't find pleasant, and that's okay. You just pick a place that works for you. And if this one in it, you move on. Mm-hmm. So speaking of moving on, let's talk about moving up. The next question that you need to ask is how much opportunity for advancement does this job offer? Yeah, a pay increase is always nice, but unless you're about to retire, it's not always enough. You also need to consider the future direction of your career. So if you want to make some move to management at some point, for instance. Mm-hmm. You need to be headed that way at all times, you know, to the degree possible. Similarly, if you're trying to go and do software architecture type stuff, you need to be able to, to go that way. You don't need to be, you know, having somebody go, well, that's not your job and we're not going to let you learn anything about it. And there's companies that are like that, that they're just, you know, you're, you're here to fill a position and when you don't fit, you move on. It's not just about what new tech you get to use. Um, you should also consider whether you can get promoted to even just a team lead position or to management. Because if that is an eventual goal and you aren't moving that way, you're probably, you know, just kind of sitting and it's, it's too easy to coast. And so when it comes time to go somewhere else and try to get there, you have a harder time doing it because now you have habits. Yeah. Now I will tell you something. We, uh, I remember when we were interviewing for a lead developer uh, before one of my coworkers, you know him, you've worked with him on some side projects, uh, got promoted to lead. He and I were both on the interview team. He was the UI developer. I was the API developer on the interview team for our new lead. And his big thing was they either need to know more about the UI than he did or they needed to have more management experience. Right. Like they needed to be have management experience or know more about the particular technology we were using. And what we found was almost everyone who were who was applying for the position was looking to move into a lead position because so many people that like they move out of their area this is especially true in the public sector where you know you move with you move to another department or another division to move up it's also true in the private <laughs> yeah and but the problem is we were only getting people trying to move up and few other areas were actually uh, using the same technology uh, cuz it was a newer one and so we ended up promoting from within that's how he got he got the job but uh and he's done a phenomenal job. I've worked with him on several projects since then where he was in that role and like he really stepped up to it. I got to tell I got to say that about him. But that said, you know, 
you got to look at it from the perspective of, all right, if I'm going to, if I want to move into a lead role, if I want to move into management, if I can move, if you can move up and get some like learn about management there, it's going to be a lot easier to, even if it's not as big of a pay increase, because typically moving up within an organization is not as big as moving out. Right. You move up and you get that. I don't say this sounds bad, but you get that on your resume. You get that. All right. I've had a year or two as a manager and I'm looking to, to move over here, move, looking to make more money going somewhere else. You know, that's going to help you get a management job. Like if you've already done the job, it's going to help you get the job. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. The, the best fix really for this situation, if you're in it, is to start having honest conversations with your management about where you want your career to go. Because a lot of times if they find out that, hey, this person wants to go and, and be a manager, you know, you'll get better feedback. You'll potentially even find a mentor that way that will be like, hey, do it this way instead of this way. Um, because everybody is awful first time they manage, right? Just like the mm-hmm. mistakes you make, like the stuff you don't even think about. It's better to go ahead and start, you know, getting some of those learnings in in a safer environment versus jumping to a brand new position that you don't know anybody in and you start making the mistakes on your first day. So yeah, definitely actually talk to management. And you may also find that, hey, there is no opportunity for for growth here. You know, you're coming in, everybody else here has been here for 20 years. Um, none of them have gotten promoted either. You know, it's, you're not going to have any additional responsibility. And it's good to know that up front because now it's a negotiating point. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to need a higher salary or something to make up the difference because it's it's limiting my options. Either I need to have money that, you know, makes it worth me staying or I need to have something that makes it where I can make more money in the future. You know, as opposed to ever declining standard of living. Mm-hmm. Um and the nice thing is if you get your management involved and you start asking them for advice, they will help create your candidacy because now they've got buy-in. Right? Mm-hmm. So they helped make something happen, they'll help make something happen. Yeah. So the next one and, uh, you know, I, I hate to always put a shameless plug for the book in here, but, you know, this kind of hit me after writing the outline is where is this job located? There are a lot of high paying jobs that either require a ton of travel. You know, you're flying around all over the place pre-COVID, obviously. We don't know what's going to happen after all this. Or they're located a long ways away from where you live. For instance, you know, I, I recently saw a job posting here in Nashville, again, pre-COVID, that would have been about a 40K pay raise for me. Yeah. But it's over an hour away, you know, driving. Like it would be across the city and out to one of the outlying towns on the far side of the city. Mm-hmm. And so you're looking probably at an hour 20 to an hour 40 just to get there in the mornings and the same to get home. That's not super pleasant, right? A long commute may not be worth the trouble when you start counting things like the value of your time, the additional costs, because, hey, you know, now you can't eat a home cooked meal or now your kids have to be in daycare for longer or, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's a lot of other things that, that come into play. Um, and you also have taxes eating into the additional money you make. So, you know, your pay went up by $20,000 but your expenses went up by 15. And oh, by the way, you have no free time now because you're in a car all the time. Unless you really like listening to podcasts, in which case uh, we know a good one. Um, (laughs) So that was one of the 
the factors when I decided to move out of Nashville because I moved to Nashville because, you know, one, I wanted to live in town and the, uh, the job was, I was going in every single day, but when we went to remote work, I didn't have to be, be there. And that was one of the big factors when I, especially when I found this place out here that where I'm living now, it was, Hey, I only have to go in one day a week. You know, I can, I can handle the, the drive from way out here one day a week. Yeah. Especially at the lower price point. Yeah. And the other thing is you may be stuck in a job like that for a while because of, you know, economic considerations, uh, things like that. But you have to be very cautious with your health, your mental, your physical, and the health of your relationships. I mean, that's, that's a key thing because when you don't have that free time, if you're, especially if you're in a romantic relationship or you have kids. Yeah. Or you have kids. Because like how many lifetime movies start out with the, with the woman whose husband works like 70 hours a week or he works like 50 hours a week, but he's always on the road. Yeah. Right. And the romance isn't about her and him. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's a very real thing. And yeah, it, it damages your relationships. I saw, I saw a meme the other day that was, uh, I have a high paying job. I live in the city, uh, and I work 50 hours a week. My girlfriend's going home for the holidays. I'm really, really concerned that, uh, I'm going to lose her to, uh, to some guy with a dead end job who has a kid, but a heart of gold. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and it goes the other way too, right? Like it's not just. Yeah, yeah, I know. I just, but, like, I just thought that, that meme was funny because that is like the the typical Hallmark Christmas movie. I mean, you know, if you've got like ten actors and you just want them to to like rotate through different movies, and it's the same actors in the same plot, but you just like shift them up, then you basically have the Hallmark Channel. <laughs> I mean, you do really. I think I know about. I know. I know enough actors to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it'd probably be better. Um, the thing is. If you're already in this situation, one good thing to start trying to do is to advocate for remote work. I know a guy that wrote a book on this. That would actually be me. (laughs) You can go get that on Amazon. Or you should be looking for a different position as soon as you're able to, right? Like these crazy long commutes, like unless you're, you know, if you're in your 20s and you're like, okay, I'm going to make this crazy long commute into, you know, San Francisco every morning and get paid a ridiculous amount of money at a startup job and, you know, build all this equity. And when I'm 30, I'm leaving town and I'm going somewhere that's maybe better for longer term plans. And I'm going to have this big nest egg. That's one thing. But if you're just like, oh yeah, I do this to pay the bills and I'm going to do it until I'm 65. No, you're not. It's, it's going to drive you crazy. You know, even if you're in your mid thirties and you're single without kids, that's something like living in a place, doing something like that is, is possible. You can you can pull that off for a few years to build up enough money to go out and like move someplace easier to live when you get a little bit older. And you know, I don't know. I mean, it's it's something I had thought about before I got my current job, which I absolutely love. So uh, yeah, I think the dichotomy is between it being part of the plan and it being a lack of a plan. That's true. That's really the key there. Speaking of plans. The next question you have to ask is, how is my pay structured? While the pay for a particular job may be higher, uh, that can mean a lot of things. For instance, it could be that the pay is low for the industry, 
but there are performance bonuses that mean you get paid more. Yeah, it's also possible that you might be brought in with you know things like stock options, other benefits. While these can be great if the company does well, they can be worthless if the company does poorly. Mm-hmm. And then especially look at statistics for how many businesses fail in the first five years. And you realize stock options probably are not a good way to bring somebody in unless they've already seen that the company's been around for a while and has been successful. Well, you may also see a situation where you're brought in at a lower kind of probationary rate with scheduled increases the longer you stay. Such a situation can work well if you can tolerate that lower initial pay. I have not seen this myself in anything. I've had that. I, I believe it. The, the lower initial pay was higher than I was getting at the previous job. No, I believe that too. <laughs> um, but, you know, hey, I went with it. It was it was a great job too. One of the best ones I've ever had. But Well, what, what I've seen, of course, my experience is mostly around the, the public sector. What I've seen is you come in at a higher contractor rate and then people tend to take a lower full-time rate because the benefits are insanely phenomenal and you end up making more money Where you from actually the benefits. Have some. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I was kind of strict about it and I was like, look, I got to make the same. I have bills. I have to make the same amount of money. And thankfully I was making at a decent enough rate where they said yes. So Yeah, whereas if you're you know, you can go to another job that you know, pays more. But if your health plan is, is okay, what we want you to do is go lay in the creek for a while and see if you can get some leeches. And then that's not a good starting point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you're in a situation where your pay structure is unusual or unhelpful, uh, this is a good time to talk to management about that and start these negotiations. You know, this is really dependent on your situation. It depends on, you know, what the extra benefits were, you know, like, do you have tenure? Is there some kind of, you know, there's not a whole lot of software development jobs that have some kind of concept like tenure, mm-hmm. but you know, it, it is a thing in some places, but definitely start negotiating about that. This is, you know, it's hard to offer advice on this one because it's, it varies a lot and you really need a financial planner to really break that down for you. So another thing that may come up is what is the ethical code of my supervisor's team? Or organization. Yeah. We're seeing this in tech right now. There's a lot of people walking out of companies or having, mm-hmm. you know, strikes or, you know, they're pushing back on management because they don't like, you know, that the company's doing business with somebody they think is unethical or they're doing something that people think is unethical mm-hmm. or whatever. You can have a really good team that's pleasant to work with and you could find their ethical code completely intolerable. For instance, somebody that is strongly anti war may have a really hard time you know, doing stuff that works for the defense industry, right? Like, if, mm-hmm. you know, if you've got strong convictions on that, you know, that that's going to be a problem. Um, another place this becomes an issue is where there's a lot of gossip and other you know, just really unprofessional behavior in the environment, even if it's not directed at you. You may not be a victim yet of that behavior, but, you know, any day now it could show up, right? That's something to look at and go, hey, this is an ethical thing. You're not, you're not keeping the employees in line and going, hey, we're not going to have this crap going on. Yeah. Now, you know, what's funny is not in an employment place, but I uh, I have heard friends of mine say about their families, like, you know, my my parents, they they gossip about, you know, by my brothers and sisters. So I'm pretty sure they gossip about me to them. Oh, yeah. 
you know, any, anything somebody says to you about another person, it's a safe bet that they say the same thing about you to somebody else or they'd mm-hmm. be willing to. So yeah, that's, that's an ethical thing. To avoid landing in this situation, you really have to meet the team and get an idea of how they interact. Of course, they're going to be on their best behavior, right? Like this is like a first date. But if you do see something that's pathological there, it's probably worse in reality. You know, interview interactions are a warning. They're not necessarily a fail-safe warning. For instance, if the interviewers are trash-talking a previous employee or a current one that they're about to fire, they're going to do the same thing to you when your time comes, right? Like you're not going to go in and fix that more than likely. Every so often when, you know, they'll get a bad apple or something and, you know, they're legitimately telling the truth. A lot of times it's like, no, the organization is just badly organized and they're blaming a person. Typically, if you have a bad apple, they will talk more about what they did. Yeah. And less about the person. Um, You will not hear a name or anything like that. They will try to avoid that. This is this is just like even outside of development. This is something that is you have to look for in interviews. And it's something that I have have noticed with jobs where I've interviewed is if, uh, you know, if they are complaining about something, when it's something like that, they're talking about the person. When it's something like, oh, they had a bad employee, they're talking about what they did. Right. And they will rarely mention the person, you know. Yeah, it's a difference between saying, hey, we had a previous employee that set the building on fire. You know, that's that's bad. That's a script with the employee yeah. versus you know, well, you know, this guy was just a total loser and da 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 da. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at that dichotomy, um, the big thing, though, when you find yourself in this situation in an existing job, you're probably going to want to get out. It's hard to turn that thing around. However, before you do that, you need to start carefully considering what warning signs were actually present in that job before you got it so that you don't do it again. Yeah. And then get out. right evaluate why the airplane's on fire and then get your parachute just in case you end up on another one speaking of warning signs another thing that you have to ask is how does this organization interact with their clientele you know the way that your organization deals with potential users can also be problematic enough that the job is not fun you know for instance your team may be great to work with, but your clients could be a royal pain. Yeah, they could be lawyers. <laughs> no, seriously. Some clients are just miserable, right? Mm-hmm. Even with the best team in the world. I've had experience you know, dealing with lawyers who are not technically inclined because a lot of times what they tend to do is they have a sense of entitlement. Okay, I'm, I'm a lawyer. I've done all this other stuff. That's great. But like when I'm telling you something won't work, it won't work. It doesn't matter what you think about it because you went to law school. I went for a comp sci degree. Um, and so I have, I've had some very, very bad experiences with non-technical lawyers. And I can tell you that I try to avoid them as a group. That's funny because there are a lot of lawyers. Like I have a lot of friends who are developers now uh, yeah. who used to be lawyers. If a, if a lawyer ever goes into development, they tend to be phenomenal because yeah. it's, they have the they're thought really process. good at yeah I was saying they they they're really good at at that thought process that at de- catching developers. exceptions and like poking oh, yeah. around the edges of stuff that yeah they're you know it, it is very very similar right it's a legal code mm-hmm. there's a reason we use similar words for similar things um, <laughs> but non technicals not so hot to work with um, just in my opinion 
I'm sure that I'll probably get a flame about that. Actually, I won't because they won't be listening to this podcast. I will say this too. I mean, it's it's not just lawyers. No, it's not. I've worked with some you know non-technical business people who were just. It, it's a personality thing, and I've, I've worked with some people who knew absolutely nothing about technology, but were an absolute pleasant. Just I enjoyed working with them. And I would work with them again anytime just because they were a pleasure to work with and work for. There are some people who, no matter how much they may know, like all sorts about technology. Yeah. And I won't work with be, them. Yeah. You and I both know one. Yeah. Neither of us would work with as a client or as a employee or a employer. I guess we wouldn't be employees. This person doesn't have a whole lot of um, potential in that direction. Um <laughs> What's funny is the puzzled look on your face trying to figure out which of the bad ones it is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's always amusing. The, the thing is, if your organization is directly dealing with the public and technical people get pulled into meetings with the public, it can often be a source of massive stress unless that's a thing that you enjoy. Mm-hmm. And especially if you don't have really good people skills because dealing with the open public on technical stuff is pretty awful. Like you have to, you have to have a, battle plan of how to deal with somebody who's a complete flaming moron and not tell them or act like you think that that's what they are. And yeah. a lot of people really can't walk that line very well. Yeah. You know, sometimes your clientele or it's not even the clientele. Sometimes it's, it's like upper level management. I have actually had uh, a situation not long ago where uh, we were, I was working with a third party and their project manager and our project manager were in a meeting like hey can we just get our developers together and just have the the you know have bj as a developer and then our developers just sit down and talk about this we could probably resolve this in you know 15 to 20 minutes if we could just get them without anybody else in the room you know or on the call these days to just sit down and talk about it. And one of the upper management people was like, I want to be involved in that. And my development director said, no. (laughs) The point is to get the developers together without anyone else there. He's like, after they have their meeting, like we can schedule one immediately after where they sit and talk to you and explain it to you. But they got to work it out between them without having to stop and answer questions. Yeah, or without you misinterpreting. Stuff that you heard. Yeah. I've been in a few situations like that. If you're in a situation where interaction with clients is unpleasant, you're probably better off leaving, but it's not necessarily leaving the job, right? It could be just, hey, shift to a position where you don't deal with clients directly. Yeah. Um, Or if you can, if you can talk to your manager, now I have done this where I've said, hey, look, I, I know we're trying to go for this agile thing where the developers are, are interacting with them, but can we limit that because yeah, it's not agile anymore. Yeah, like it is, it is a major stressor when I have to deal with this person. Can can we limit those interactions? I will, I will deal with them, but it like it causes me to be less productive the rest of the day. So maybe if we could put that towards the end of the day when I am you know in a better mood because. I work better at the end of the day. I'm like, can we put that towards the end of the day? And then I can just go home and relax after that instead of trying to work after that stressful situation, you know? And so it, changing that situation up a little bit for me 
made it tolerable to get through that project. I will say that talking to your manager about it's a good idea, but the source of the money has more power. Yeah. And so if that's a big client and they treat you like crap and that's more than 50% of your company's business, odds are good. You're probably not gonna be able to do a lot because you don't have leverage. That's true. That's true. Uh, Been there, done that. Mm -hmm. So speaking of the source of the money, the next question you have to ask is, what does the benefits package look like? Yeah, and we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but I wanted to hit this a, a little bit harder, especially for the Americans here. Your base pay is one thing, but your benefits package makes a huge difference, right? Like if you're typically if you're working for a governmental agency, you probably have better you know, benefits than the private sector does as things are now. Um, it wasn't always that way and it probably, you know, it'll shift again. But um, companies can be very willing to pay you a few thousand extra dollars a year um, and then skimp on stuff like health plans, retirement, uh, the amount of vacation time that you get, uh, which days you're off, you know, uh, can you work remotely or are we going to get you a decent computer? So let me just stop you right there and say something. And this isn't related to work exactly. My family took up all of my vacation time. Like normally I have excess and, you know, it just rolls over into the next year for me. They took it all up last year to the point where I actually had to take, I miscalculated and I had to take a few hours of unpaid leave. Yeah. Because of the Christmas holiday. Cause I just, I miscalculated a uh, half day. And, uh, yeah. So, your amount of vacation is very, very important. Well, the other thing too is if you get fired and you've built up vacation, they they pay you for that. Yeah, I see. I know there are some people who who don't don't take vacation and stuff. I do a lot of like I go to a lot of conferences. Usually they let me count that as training, but if they don't, I've got the vacation for it. But I also travel a lot. I I like doing that. I like taking a couple of days off every now and then. And that is that is very, very important, especially if you have a family. Um, even if you don't, just getting away and not thinking about work for a few days is very important. Having those vacation days is very, very important. Um, now, that, that said, if a company is not willing to invest in training their employees, like I said, I, I take some of that time as training, that means that you got to handle your training yourself. And that costs money and time. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, that's, it's the same thing as your health plan too, right? Like, especially here, you know, now in the U.S., it's, you know, this is something you need to continue moving forward. And your company, if they're not paying for your health care or your, you know, on the job training, you're going to have a bad consequence down the road and mm -hmm. potentially be out quite a bit more money. Yeah. As a result of that. If you're already in this situation, it's usually because, your life situation has changed. Yeah. For instance, you know, you get a job, you're young, you're single. Great. You stay there for a few years, you get married, you know, have a kid, find out that you've got, you know, some medical condition or you get hurt in a car wreck and benefits can trap you in a job or they can make it where it's unsustainable to stay in the job. Even if you get a you know, $20,000 a year pay raise, mm -hmm. um, I don't I don't want to be to get political here but that concept of like pre-existing condition yeah is a is a big pain 
trust me from someone who went, who was in school and had like insurance that didn't cover stuff, had a time without insurance and had a chronic, has, had, has, hasn't really bothered me lately, but has a chronic condition. Yeah. Like that, that whole clause is a major pain. I ended up paying a lot of money because my symptoms started the day before my insurance coverage started. Yep. And, you know, it, it's really something that shouldn't be tied to an employer, no. honestly, because it's, it's like, a you know, people want their employer to cover their health expenses, but it's like, holy crap, look what a lever you're giving them. <laughs> you know, like that's, uh, it, it really will backfire. And I get why Actually, that would, that would make a good episode. Let's, let's, let's put together an episode on understanding insurance because that's a pain for a lot of people. Yeah. Maybe just get somebody in that really knows their stuff. Uh, cause I mean, we've both got parts of it, but I think it would be better to have like a real professional that we could really. Yeah. I used to sell it, you know? Yeah. But I mean, like somebody that I know what you mean. really is deep in the weeds on that because you and I are both way too interesting to be into that. <laughs> you know, just get flow, get flow on yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Honestly, guys, we're, we're both pretty hesitant to give advice on this because it gets complicated. Like I said, I was trying to avoid being political and still kind of brought up a little bit of stuff there. And I think it's impossible. You know, it's, it's not just that it's complicated, but it's that there aren't good answers. In, yeah. in a lot of cases, it's just, you know, it's going to be awful for you to pay for your medical care because the medical system here is just, you know, it's gone nuts. Mm-hmm. And until stuff changes, it's going to be that way. It doesn't matter who's paying. Yeah. So the last one we're going to talk about in this episode is where do I fit in the business? You may also discover that organizations treat development departments very differently depending on the role of the development department. Uh, for example, development groups that are profit centers rather than cost centers are often treated much better. Yeah, I can just, man, my experience really bears that one out. Um, I've worked at companies that were legitimately software companies and they made money from their software and they made sure the developers had good equipment. You were treated well, you know, good benefits, that kind of stuff. Nobody's screaming at you, those kind of things. And then I've worked in organizations that development was not the core concern. Um, so you're writing software that tracks things like expenses. And the way you got treated there was not even, you know, it was light years difference. Um, still, some of those organizations were good. It was just, it was harder for them to be good. I guess is the best way to put it. So it's like, it's like the difference between really good pizza and really good broccoli. You know, it's like, yeah, it's possible for it to be as good, but honestly, nice greasy pepperoni pizza is going to be better than most of the broccoli you're going to eat. That's true. That's true. Organizational topology can also cause other headaches. Um, like depending on your organization, your development team may be regularly required to handle things such as support, server maintenance, project planning, or testing. Or network this, wiring, for that matter. Yeah, this may not be what you want to do. It, like They may have just like this general IT department, and you as a developer are hired into it, and you're just supposed to do everything. Yeah, and I've worked in companies like that. I've got a good friend who owns a company like that, and I've done you know work for him in the past. 
And, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do on any given day. You know, one day I might be writing code. The next day I'm, I'm up in the ceiling in a flour mill running coax cable. Hmm. And, you know, the next day I'm, you know, helping build, you know, a computer that goes into like a, a kiosk. And, you know, the next day I'm working on a you know set of scales, like industrial scales, like you just never knew. And there's some people that really, really like that. If you want to get super specialized in programming, that's not necessarily always the best. Although I did learn a whole lot in that job that's has stuck with me. Yeah. I, I get that experience on the tech team at church. I, yeah. I've done all sorts of things, um, but they've also taught me audio engineering, like videography. I've learned all sorts of really cool stuff that's actually benefited the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, the thing about it is, is, is it getting you somewhere you want to go or is it getting you away from somewhere you want to go? That's very key. That is very key. That's a good point. Now, the, the other thing, too, is in a startup, you're going to end up doing a lot of different things, uh, simply just the size of the business. And it, it goes back to what Will was saying. Is it getting you where you want to go or is it preventing you from where you want to go? Because one is either is really nice and refreshing. The other is very frustrating and nerve wracking. And, you know, both you and your organization are also going to change over time. And you may find that you no longer fit well in your current role. So you may have said, hey, I'll be the jack of all trades and, you know, learn all these different things. And then one day you're like, man, I really want to do programming. I don't want to be crawling through, you know, the ceiling of a place with spiders that's, you know, 115 degrees up there dragging a cable. Mm-hmm. And hoping that, that you know something doesn't fall and drop me onto the production floor. That's you know that's the thing that you kind of get over wanting to do at a certain point. The other thing is you may get tired of programming. You may want to do something else, and it's it's okay that it changes. It's just you've got to figure out where you want to fit and whether the place that you're in fits that. And if not, you got to make some move to go the correct direction. Higher paying jobs can do wonders for your finances. However, they have the potential to make life miserable for a variety of reasons. Being able to filter these jobs out when searching for a job or when your job situation changes is critical to your long-term success as a professional. Bad jobs, no matter how much they pay, can burn you out, cause health problems, or even destroy future opportunities for you. That pretty much uh, wraps us up. What do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? So guys, Just like more pay doesn't mean a better job, being intelligent doesn't make you a better developer per se. You know, uh, I I work with some very intelligent people, some of whom are great developers, some of whom are not. You may know all the ins and outs of the language and the framework in which you're working, but still be a terrible software developer. Um, It takes more than just knowledge of coding to be a good developer. You have to know... Um, what, what it takes to give the customer what they want, how to understand what they want and translate that into code and when it doesn't need to be code and how to make that happen in a way that other developers can come along and understand your code. Or, for example, if you're adding to an existing code base, which a lot of people do, you have to do that in a way that makes sense with the existing code. Just the other day, I was looking at a code base and I know, I know the developer who originally wrote it, and I know the developer who made additions to it. And I can tell you exactly where those changes were. Yeah. Uh, partly because the developer who made additions 
doesn't understand ORMs because she's never used them before. So rather than going, hey, I don't understand this, let me learn about it so that I make this code consistent throughout, she just wrote her own data access layer in there. And yeah. so now half the code uses an ORM, half of it uses a data access layer. And none of it works well, probably, anymore. Yeah. Wow. And so it's very confusing to look at. Yeah, I mean, you know, on the subject of the intelligence thing, there are a lot of people that would be like, oh, let me do this matrix transformation to fix this problem. And they'll come up with some scientific technical thing. And it's like, what if I just hit it with a wrench? Yeah. That fix it? Okay, we're done. <laughs> and really yeah. smart people have a really hard time understanding that sometimes you just need a solution and it doesn't have to be perfect. It can be 90% and, you know, 99% less effort. And that's what people are going to do. And that's yeah. okay. And the the key thing that I was getting at with, with that last bit was it made it much more difficult for me coming in looking at the code base to read that. So guys, even if it isn't the best or the most optimal way of doing something, try to stick with the way it is and don't always think that intelligence means being better at something. That's pretty much all I've got. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.